right? So we're going to pray for that offering, and then we're going to get into the word of God. Just bow our heads. Uh, Father in heaven, we humbly come before you first to just give you praise. Thank you for the forgiveness of sins uh, that was made possible to us on the cross of Calvary, Lord. We thank you for all the gifts, talents, and time that you have given us, Lord. And we want to take this time to honor you, Lord, to be obedient and give back to you what you have first given to us. Lord, your word says that where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And we want to store our treasures in heaven. And so, Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness to us, Lord. And we just want to take this time to honor you back in that. And so we ask that you receive our offerings as a sweet smelling aroma to your throne room of grace. And we do ask, Lord, that as this word goes forth, Lord, it will be none of me and it'll be all of you, Lord. We know that it is your words, that they are truth, they are life, and they are spirit. And so we just pray that those who have the ears would hear what you would have to say. We love you, Lord. We commit this to your trust. In Jesus' name we pray. And the saints said, amen. amen. All right, open up your Bibles to the book of Habakkuk. Okay, some of you guys are like, what, Habakkuk, where is that, right? Okay, so Habakkuk is in the Bible, right? Minor prophets, not because of size, you know, not because of significance, but because of size. So it's after Nahum. You're like, Nahum, what's that? Right, right? Okay, so table contents, start there. Habakkuk will be in Habakkuk chapter two. I taught this maybe, I think, like a month ago, the first chapter, and it's still like ministering to me of the jewels and the lessons learned uh, through this book. It's been such a blessing to me. So we're going to turn there and we're going to be in chapter two today. Habakkuk chapter two. Okay, so quick, quick background. So Habakkuk is one of the 12 minor prophets. A major prophet would be like Jeremiah and Isaiah because of the size, not because of significance. And so there's little known about this prophet. His name means embraced by God. And we can kind of see that through the prophet is that he's embracing God and the people that the message is going to. Some believe that he was of the tribe of Levi, but we don't really know. What we do know is he prophesied late 7th century. So that means after the fall of the northern tribes to Assyria, but before the fall of Babylon. So that puts him between the time of Jeremiah and the time of Ezekiel. All right. So that's the kind of time frame in which this prophet prophesied. Now, what's interesting about this book is it doesn't directly challenge a nation. It's actually like a, a Q&A. We get like a, a front row seat to the prophet having a conversation with God. And it's pretty intense. And so it's almost like we get to sit back with our popcorn kick back and like literally listen to him kind of challenge, question, and doubt God at the beginning of the chapter. And he's asking God some tough questions. What's going on? Why are you doing this? I'm looking on, are you looking on violence? I'm crying out to you. You're not hearing me. And he's basically accusing God of injustice in a way, right? And so we get to actually sit back and, and watch that in this book. And it's pretty interesting. And I think we can learn a lot by looking at it. Habakkuk is absolutely perplexed and confused about the evil he was seeing and the perceived negligence of God. If you guys read through the Kings, you guys saw how evil, how much evil was going on. And it may look from a distance like, dang, God just letting this ride. Like, aren't you supposed to be holy? What's going on? And so we can look in today's time, like we know God's behind the scenes working, but if we just went solely off what we saw, we would kind of think, eh, there's no God. Like, look at this, this is ridiculous. The, all the evil is prevailing, and it seems like the, the law is perverted, right? But we know, by the grace of God, what God's word says. You know, Habakkuk asks, how long, O Lord? 
Why, O Lord, why don't you act and rid the land of this evil? And these are all great questions. And I would tell you guys, it's not wrong to bring your questions to God. It's not wrong to bring your doubts and concerns to God because you can't bring them to God. Who else are you going to bring them to? Right? You have to be able to bring them to the almighty, the one who knows the end from the beginning. But I'll tell you this, he's not obligated to answer us. Amen. So remember that, right? So if we think about what Habakkuk was perplexed about in his day, it almost as if he was talking to us today. And I'm sure all of you guys have heard of what was going on with the Dodgers organization, right? Oh, yeah, pr- pretty, pretty perverted. And I, I, I found this, uh, the pitcher, uh, Blake Trian, how you pronounce that? There you go, Trian. He, he wrote a letter. I'm just going to read a little insert. It, made, it got me all hyped, right? Here's what he said. He said, I'm disappointed to see the sisters of perpetual indulgence being honored as heroes at Dodger Stadium. Many of their performances are blasphemous and their work on displays hate and mockery of Catholics and the Christian faith. I understand that playing baseball is a privilege and not my right. My convictions in Jesus Christ will always come first. In the last paragraph, he says this, I believe Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins. I believe the word of God is true. And Galatians 6, 7 says, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. This group openly mocks Jesus Christ, the cornerstone of my faith. And I want to make it clear that I do not agree with nor support the decision of the Dodgers to honor the sisters of perpetual indulgence. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Let's go, right? Let's go. And so we look at that. I get hyped when I see stuff like that because a lot of times they have this platform, athletes and, and performers have a platform that they don't use. And this picture said, no, we're not doing that. My convictions for the Lord are always going to come first. Amen. And so Habakkuk is seeing kind of what this picture is seeing. And he's asking God, like, what's going on? And God actually answers him. The prophet Isaiah is speaking in the first person for God in Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. This is something I pray you guys memorize. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Saints, God is always working. Always. Even when you don't see the Bible says he neither sleeps nor slumbers. That's why it's vain for you to stay up at night worrying about stuff. You got two people dealing with it. God's dealing with it. I'm going to sleep, right? I'm not, if God's working on it, I'm all right, I'm good. You got it handled, right? It's vain for us. But just because you don't see God working doesn't mean he's not working, Right? Sometimes we can get caught up in what we see and we walk by sight and not by faith. And so this book is encouraging us and exhorting us to walk by faith and not by sight. The book itself is broken down in three major parts between one, two, and three. Chapter one is where the prophet is perplexed and confused. And he's basically in the questioning stage. And so how many times have you guys gone through a stage where you've questioned something, right? All of us. Okay, if you're alive and breathing, you've questioned some things, okay? You look and see. It's kind of hard. You go and you see certain things happen to people and then they get away with it, it looks like, right? But yet something happens to you and you get caught, right? They get away with that. You get caught with this. Someone in your family gets cancer, they die, but someone else, they live, 
right? Those are questions we have. Like, how, do, how does God judge that? Who goes, who doesn't go? Who recovers, who doesn't recover? Who is healed and who's not? Who comes back in after remission and who doesn't? Those are all good questions. But I want to remind you, he's not obligated to answer you, but we know that he's good and that he's always working things for our good and our behalf. And so chapter two, he transitions to the trusting or waiting stage. And that's what we'll talk about today in the text. And then in chapter three, he transitions to a praising or rejoicing stage. And so it's almost like it's literally a man of faith asking questions and receiving answers. It opens in mystery and questioning, and then it closes in certainty and affirmation. And so this, this contrast is startling. But the first is basically a wail of despair and doubt, and the last is a shout of confidence and praise. And so if you guys read through the Psalms, you'll see that pattern, is they open in despair and they close in praise. Because what happens is the closer you get to God and draw near unto him, the more that other stuff doesn't matter, right? And the more you learn to trust him. A key verse that will be talked about a lot today in this text is verse four, chapter two, behold the proud, his soul is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. Quoted over three times in the New Testament regarding the doctrine of justification by faith. So I'm going to quickly just go over the outline from last time just to catch us up because I think it's important to understand. And for those who missed it, last time I titled the message when I don't understand what God is doing. And so all of us have gone through that stage and you're going to continue to go through that stage. And there were like these points that God ministered to me that I believe need to be repeated. And so first and foremost, when you don't understand, you're worried, you're concerned, you don't get it humbly bring all your questions, doubts, and worries, and concerns to the Lord. Humbly. Just bring them all. He can handle them. I think sometimes we think God can't handle my emotions right now. He can handle it, right? He spoke the world into existence. He can handle your emotions. He's literally holding the world together by a little thumb, little thumbprint, right? If he lets go for a nanosecond, all this is destroyed. So he can handle our concerns and our doubts. He can handle it. Secondly, Know that God is always working things together for our good. Habakkuk can't understand all this evil that's going on, but yet he's going to use Babylon to judge Judah. He's like, how are you going to judge us by a nation more wicked than we are? I don't understand that. You're supposed to be righteous and holy. And he tells them, you guys are going to be delivered and restored after 70 years. They're going to be destroyed. God is always working things together for good. And then lastly, you have to fill your doubts with the unchanging character of God and his promises. And so what it is, it's almost like you're walking down a bridge and some of the planks in the bridge are missing. You have to fill those in with the promises of God. Okay. You have to fill them in because at the end of the day, you're not going to understand everything about life and you're not going to understand everything about God. Otherwise there'd be no need for faith, right? There'd be no need to trust him and you can't always handle the answer. There's a reason why we don't tell three-year-olds everything, okay? When they say, well, y'all tell you when you're older, right? Because they can't handle it. Sometimes God says, right now, I can't tell you. Just trust me. Don't we tell our kids that? Those of us, in my little fight, hey, just trust me. Just, I don't know what I'm doing. Just trust me. I can't explain that to you right now. Sometimes you're going to get moments like that with God where he says, yeah, just trust me. Just know my promises are true. I can't give you the explanation right now, Right? So those were the three points from chapter one. And then we're going to go on chapter two. I'm not going to go over the outline, but 
we'll just go through the text. Verse one, first point is going to be a, uh, of living in light of God's faithfulness and not of circumstances. First point is abide in prayer so you don't abide in temptation. The text says this, I will stand my watch and set myself on the rampart and watch to see what he will say to me and what I will answer when I am corrected. Now, at this time, Habakkuk has already had basically a Q&A with God. Wouldn't we love to have that, right? But it's pretty spicy, okay? He's asking some pretty, he, he's, he has some pretty um, in-depth accusations for the Lord. You're watching violence and you're letting it go. You're allowing all this evil to happen and I'm crying out to you and you haven't done anything about it. And God graciously answers him and says, I have done, I am doing something and you're not gonna believe it even if I told you, right? I'm gonna raise up this wicked, horrible nation, Babylon, to judge you guys. Yeah, you almost see him laughing. He's not laughing, but sense of humor, right? Holy Ghost humor. You know, and, uh, and Habakkuk is like, are you kidding me? Aren't you supposed to be holy and righteous? Your eyes are so pure, they can't look upon evil. Are you kidding me? And then Habakkuk speaks, but towards the end, which is verse one, he says, now I'm gonna wait and set myself here and wait to see what you're gonna say. And my heart's gonna be prepared for when you correct me. And that's where we're at today. Look at this response, the change in attitude towards the Lord. The prophet went from how long shall I cry and you not hear, even cry out to you in violence and you will not save. That's from chapter one. And why, O oh Lord, are you choosing Babylon to judge a more righteous nation than they? That's like the murderer judging the thief. And it's almost as if Habakkuk is speaking today. Like, are you kidding me? All this evil is just madness and it's allowed to continue. Habakkuk says this, he says, I will stand, watch, see, and prepare to answer when I am corrected. That word stand means to abide, station oneself, endure, hold one's ground and to persist. It's the same meaning that Jesus had in John 15, where he said, abide in me and I in you, and therefore you will bear much fruit. This is the prophet's attitude and posture waiting to hear from God what he will say. He pretty much declares his commitment to not move until he hears back from the Lord. Saints, I think we can learn a great deal from this statement. How many times, gotta be honest, in the house of the Lord, how many times do you make big life decisions and we pray, wait a small amount of time, and then we move on our own emotions before we hear from the Lord. There's silence in the church. All right. How does that work out? We can look back on some people in scripture that did not wait on the Lord. Abraham, Hagar. David, Bathsheba. Israelites, golden calf. Saul not waiting for Samuel, offered unlawful sacrifice, kingdom stripped from him. All these people did not wait on the Lord. And it was devastating consequences. And then we can go into examples of our own lives. It doesn't work out well. See, we're called to pray about everything and worry about nothing. But we tend to worry about a lot of things and rarely pray about anything. I've learned that if I panic too much, I won't pray. But if I pray too much, I won't panic. So I learned I can't do both. You got to choose which one you're going to do, right? You have to choose which one. It's been said, how often God answers come and find us gone. 
We've waited for a while and thinking there was no answer, we've gone our way, but as we have turned the first corner, the post has come in. God's ship touch our, our shores, but there is no one to unload them. Is it not enough to direct your prayer into God? Look up, look out until the blessing lands on our head. Saints, it's not enough just to pray and then walk away. God's calling us to pray and wait. And we've learned that waiting is the hardest work to do of them all, right? It's the hard, just tell me yes or no, right? I don't know, just tell me yes or no, yes or no, which one, right? Sometimes God says you just have to wait because trust is earned, right? And sometimes you just have to wait. And I think of the example about nine years ago, because my daughter Janessa is nine, if I off base, my wife will put me in check. Um, she was pregnant with our daughter Janessa. And I've, I've told this story before, some may, may remember. And she went to the doctor. She might've been like maybe five or six months pregnant. And then they told her that she had some cancerous cells on her uterus. And they're like, so we would like to remove them and then recommend that you have a hysterectomy so you can't have any more kids. And so we just didn't have peace about that at that time. And so we just prayed and we didn't hear anything from the Lord. So I learned when you don't hear anything, you just stay still, right? And so we prayed. She gave birth to Janessa. They did the operation. We didn't go forth with it. And even though they're calling us like, hey, you guys didn't schedule? Like, yeah, we're not scheduling it. We're praying and we're waiting on the Lord. Six months come by, no cancer, no sales. Another six months, no sales. Last month, my wife gave birth to our sixth child. We named him Josiah. That means Jehovah heals. Amen. So we trusted and waited on the Lord because we didn't have God's peace, right? That wasn't easy. It wasn't. Because you have to think, should we risk it? And potentially it get worse, right? Or do we trust God and leave it in his hands? Those are your options on a daily basis, right? Do I risk it? They're telling me this, but God's word hasn't confirmed it. God's spirit of peace hasn't confirmed it. So I think I'm gonna go with God for 200, amen? Right? <laughs> I'm gonna go with God for 200. But that was an example of us praying and then waiting, Right? waiting for what he's going to say, Lord, we go where your peace goes. And it reminds me of Moses when he's on the mountain. He's like, uh, uh, so here's the thing. I'm not going up unless your presence goes with me. If your presence doesn't go, I'm staying right here. This is the lesson we can learn. We need to abide in prayer so we don't abide in temptation. The prophet here was tempted to think that God was unjust, right? But as he continued to pray and conversate with the Lord, because that's what prayer is, his heart began to soften as God began to speak to him. And his attitude went from how long, O oh Lord, and how can you, to I'll wait until you answer me and my heart will be prepared to be corrected if I'm in the wrong place. Amen? That word watch, it means to peer into the distance, observe, wait for, spy, or watch closely. For you note takers, one of my favorite Psalms, 2714 says this, wait on the Lord. Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Psalmist says twice, wait on the Lord. Wait, I say, wait on the Lord. And it seems that when he says that I will prop myself up, like he's comparing himself to a watchman, like in the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah 26, 6 and 8, for you note takers, says this. For thus has the Lord said unto me, go set a watchman. Let him declare what he sees. Then he cried, a lion, my Lord. I stand continually on the watchtower in the daytime. I've set 
at my post every night. He's describing a watchman. So some of you, I don't know if you're familiar, but in the Bible, the watchman can never be slack or distracted. His only job, one job, one job, was to warn the city of approaching danger. And if they weren't faithful, their hands would be stained with blood. He told Ezekiel, if you don't warn the people, right? The blood is on your hands. Ezekiel, you're a watchman for the house of Israel. And so Habakkuk is saying, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be a watchman and just watch out and peer and look and wait for your answer to come to me. This started with a perplexed, confused, and doubtful prophet. Yet after praying to the Lord and hearing an answer, he's now expectant. Habakkuk's sanctuary was the watchtower. That is where he went to hear from the Lord. The watchtower for the prophet was the recess of his mind. I don't know about you guys, but I, I, I can't pray when it's all loud and stuff like that. Like I, like I need you to be quiet, okay? I have to go away out of all the distractions, away from anything that would veer me away from focusing. There is a prescription. You look at Jesus, it says that he went away, right? He went out into the wilderness or out into the mountains to go pray. For Habakkuk, his mind was, I'm gonna go be like a watchman where it's just me and God. That's gonna be my sanctuary. That's gonna be my prayer closet. That was where the prophet prepared his soul to hear directly from God. It is a picture of him withdrawing from the world and getting close and alone with God from all the distractions like Jesus did. Saints are outline, be a spiritual watchman or watchwoman. Expectantly wait, listen, and wait for the Lord to respond. Saints, it's been said that when we behold the glory of God and believe the word of God, it gives us the faith to accept the will of God. Amen? Starts with being in his presence, believing his word, then you can accept his will. The problem is we're rarely in his presence and we're rarely in his word. So we really don't like his will, right? All those things go together. Amen? All of them go together. Question for you guys. What exactly are you expecting when you pray? If anything at all. Some of you are expecting that God will give you that tall, dark, handsome, rich husband, maybe? Or that Miss USA woman who desires to be a housewife? The reality of prayer to God is that our hearts be aligned with his will and not be aligned and not his will be aligned with our hearts. See, Habakkuk's heart was ready to be aligned with God's will. He says, I will wait to hear when he corrects me. If I'm wrong, if I'm off base, correct me, Lord. But this is what I see. This is how I understand it right now. Correct me. Example, I remember when I was, uh, I worked with at for 13 years and I just stopped maybe almost two years ago. And I remember back in 2018, it wasn't going so well. And I, I was, I believe I was led to pursue a career in law enforcement. And I, and I prayed about it. I have my prayer journal to prove it. I prayed about it. And I was in, in the runnings for three different agencies at once. And it was going good. I worked out. I trained. I did what I needed to do. I was in for Santa Monica PD, Oxnard PD, and LA Sheriff's all at once. And every time I pray, Lord, let your will be done, not my will be done. If it's your will, open the door and no man can close. If it's not your will, shut it down. I don't want to waste my time. Like, it's a lot of working out. Like I haven't done this in a while. I don't want to waste my time. Right? But I go in. I crush it with the physical. I'm whipping the two young 21-year-olds. I'm feeling good about myself right about now. 
I go in for interviews, I'm like in the 90th percentile. So it looks as if God is opening up all these doors. And I'm like, okay, this is cool, right? I, I can do this. And I'm thinking, okay, this, this has to be God's will. Um, long story short, then doors start to close, like shut. I'm like, okay, what happened? I thought, God, I thought we were good. What happened? I can't believe this. Why are you open all these doors? For what? And I'm just, at this point, I'm perplexed. I'm like, I worked out two, two a days. I don't play college football anymore. Those are two a days. Um, I was 35 at the time. I'm like, I, I shouldn't be doing all this for nothing. And one door started to close and then another one closed and then they all closed. At that point, I'm like, okay, it's God's will. Disappointed, of course, right? God's will. Two months later, that's when I got ordained as a Calvary Chapel pastor, right? It's not my will, but I was praying the whole time. So when that happened, my heart was ready to accept that because I had been in the presence of God. I believe the word of God. And I know that I was praying, Lord, not my will, your will be done. And so my flesh was disappointed, right? I did all the work out for nothing. That's my flesh, right? Uh, but I wouldn't be standing here today though. Like I wouldn't be here with you guys. I really wouldn't if God had not directed my steps. And so we have to adopt that watchman, watchwoman attitude. Does it make us less of a Christian if we have doubts or concerns? No. Does it make us less mature as a Christian if we question God in certain areas, right? I think it does if we handle it a certain way. If I question or doubt God and I take it to man, right? That God, I can't believe God did that. The prophet shows us you take it directly to God. And when you do that, he changes your heart if you let him, right? So we see this through here. So saints, I want to encourage you guys. Some of the most faithful men and women of God have had their, had their fair share of faith trials. My favorite example is John the Baptist. He pointed to Jesus. Behold, everybody looks, right? You point, everyone looks. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John the Baptist was absolutely persuaded that Jesus was the Christ, right? When he was in the hills. But when he came in the valleys, he doubted. And he launched an investigation and sent his own disciples to Jesus with a very unique message. Are you the coming one or shall we look for another? Why? Because he was in despair, right? That's the natural tendency that when we're in despair, we doubt. But we have to know that our God is not just the God of the hills, but he's also the God of the valleys, right? And we don't just praise God when times are good, but we also praise him in times of adversity, Right? We look at Peter, right? Thou art the Christ to get thee behind me. That was very quick, right? Faith, he had a faith trial there. Denied Jesus. The prophet Elijah was depressed. Lord, they're going to kill me, right? We all go through those faith trials. Saints, it's been said that the best place to speak of your secret problems is in the secret place, your prayer closet. Matthew 6 tells us that Jesus says that when you pray, go in your closet alone in secret and your father who's in secret will reward you openly, right? The best place for your secret problems is the secret place, amen? And this is what we learn in the text. We glean from it. I've heard many say, God doesn't speak to people today as he did back in the days of old, right? God doesn't speak to the prophet. He doesn't speak to us in an audible voice, right? But I'll say there's a truer statement than that. Here's the truer statement. I say we do not listen today as they listened back then. 
they don't wait upon, we don't wait upon the Lord that he may renew our strength like they did back then, right? We fall into comfortability. We fall into entitlement because God is so good. Well, he'll just keep doing what he has to do. He's God, he's good. He has to do it, right? It don't work like that. Let us learn from the text of scripture. We ourselves are considered watchmen and watchwomen. We are called to declare God's message, the gospel, the good news, right? We're called to both declare God's judgment and God's salvation. Those things are two sides of the same coin. Many people want to say, God is just love. is all love. Love, 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 right? But love without justice is not love, right? They, they both, they, they're both in the same package. The Bible says, consider both the goodness and severity of God, right? Goodness for those who believe, severity on those who reject, right? And it's both the same God. We're called to declare the whole gospel truth. John the Baptist said, who warns you from the wrath to flee? Apostle Paul says, I'm free of the blood of all men because I have not shunned to declare unto the whole counsel of God. Night and day for the space of three years with tears. Saints, how are we doing as watch men and watch women? This is not just for the pastors. Every believer, every follower of Jesus, we are called to be the watchman. Whether we're waiting to hear from God or we're taking that message and declaring it to others. I think we need to think about that. Amen? Okay, review point number one. Living in light of God's faithfulness and not our circumstances. Abide in prayer so you don't abide in temptation. Stay faithful. And y'all like, stay faithful where you are until God's peace moves you. God often answers our prayers with peace, right? Prepare your heart to be in alignment with God's will and not your own desires. Habakkuk was ready to have his heart corrected. The question is, are you when you pray? Do you think you have all the answers when you pray? God, I know it just has to be done this way and this is just the way it's gonna be. It's the only thing I'm gonna accept. Doesn't, that's not how it works. If that's what you're praying, be prepared to hear nothing, okay? Be prepared to hear nothing. But come to God humbly, Lord. I delight to do your will, O God. Show me the way that I may walk in it, right? But be ready to have your heart in alignment with the Lord because there's no other way. I love what Charles Spurgeon said, nothing outside of the will of God that I want, but nothing inside the will of God that I fear, right? Because God's will is always highest for us, amen? Point number two, be men and women of the word. Man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Verse number two says this, then Habakkuk answered me and said, write the vision. I'm sorry. Then the Lord answered me and said, write the vision and make it plain on tablets that he may run who reads it. The NLT version says this. Then the Lord said to me, write my answer plainly on tablets so that a runner can carry the correct message to others. When it says, then the Lord answered me and said, this is a glorious statement. The Lord answers our prayers. Amen. Amen. The Lord answered me and said, the Lord answers our prayers. Well, show me in the Bible. I'm glad you asked. Psalm 65, two for you note takers. It says, oh, you who hears prayer to you, all flesh will come. First John five and 14. This is the confidence that anything we ask in his name, according to his will, he hears us. Psalm 40 says, I waited patiently for the Lord 
and he inclined to me and heard my cry. God always answers our prayers one of three ways, yes, no, or not right now. Sometimes, saints, it's his will, but it's not his timing. How do you know if it's his will? You'll know in time, right? <laughs> one or the other. But sometimes we delight things and we want things to work in our lives, but it's just not God's timing, right? And I think there's nothing worse than being in God's will, but outside of God's time, right? Because God knows the end from the beginning. And a lot of times, young people and even older people, right? Certain relationships. Yo, I, want, I know I knew this was a good person for me, but it just wasn't the time for that. There's still things that needed to materialize. There's still things that needed to happen before that, right? Or you missed the sign. Now you're out of time. That happens too. But we know that God is faithful and he's always going to work things together for our good. So saints, I tell you this, because we know this simple truth, the Lord answered me, you need to keep praying. Don't grow weary. God hears us. Keep praying for your marriage. Keep praying for your children. Keep praying for your coworkers. Keep praying for our government, our churches, your pastors, your leaders, your financial situation, your relationship with estranged family members. The Lord hears your cry. We know this because his word says so. When he says, write the vision, make it plain on tablets that he may run who reads it. See, God answers the prophet's prayer with a command, write my word down and make it plain. He's simply commanded to record God's answers on a tablet, just like the giving of the law. Or some scholars would think that this is figurative, like the book of Daniel when he said, shut up this prophecy and seal it. And this could also be true. Both of them could be true. But personal application for us is a good practice to write down our prayers and in our devotion. Let me tell you why. Main thing, so you don't forget. So you don't forget. One of the gravest sins in all of ancient Israel is they forgot the Lord their God. And when they forgot the Lord their God, they fell into disbelief and idolatry. The most consistent sin in all the Old Testament, read it carefully, was idolatry. They forgot the Lord their God who delivered them out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. And what happens to us is we forget. That's why you panic. You forgot that God did that last time. Same today, yesterday, today. Same today, yesterday, and forever, right? So you must have forgot. Because see, God's past faithfulness is a roadmap to his future faithfulness. And so when you get off track, just go back to the roadmap. God is faithful, right? You need to remember it. That's why he said, hey, write it down, right? That those who may read, write it and make it plain. That word plain means clear, distinct, to explain, simple. Don't make it complicated. Note takers, Proverbs 8, 9 says this. They are all plain to him who understands and right to those who find knowledge. Saints, there are many purposes and benefits of God writing his word down. And I'll name just a few. One, so we can read it. His delight is in the law of the Lord and does he meditate day and night, the psalmist, Psalm 1. Secondly, so that we would remember it and not forget, like I just said. Forgetting the word led to idolatry and non-belief, as I just said about Israel. Thirdly, so we can obey it. 
Jesus said, if you love me, obey my commands, right? Lord, I, I, I didn't read the commands. I don't know what they are, so I can't obey them, right? Well, I wrote them down for you. I wrote them down for you. Okay, so you can read them so you can obey it, right? Fourth, so you can share it. Romans 10, right? How can they call on whom they have not believed? How can they believe on whom they have not heard? How can they hear without you sharing the message, right? Have some beautiful feet up in here. How beautiful are the feet who those preach the gospel of peace, right? So he writes it down so we can share it. And lastly, and probably the most important, so that we may know him. He says, behold, I come in the volume of the book, right? We get to know God more by studying his word. Amen. There are many who would do everything they can to be eloquent and appear so smart and how they expound on deep truths as deeply and complex as possible. So you can't understand the word. It's important that we make the word of God simple. One of the most common compliments I get by God's grace, I teach all the way from like two-year-olds all the way to whatever age you want to put, right? I mean, Jack was here. He's almost a hunter. So let's put Jack in there, right? Um, and one of the compliments I get, and it's all by God's grace, is though people will come up and say, thank you for making the word of God so simple to understand. And I remember I taught Proverbs 3 one time and a gentleman came up to me and said, I'll never look at that chapter the same. Like I now understand it at a whole different level. I'm like, bro, that makes two of us, right? <laughs> Studying and reading it, I now won't look at that the same again, but it's the Holy Spirit. Saints, God wants us to understand his word. That's why he makes it simple. And if it's ever complex, ask the Holy Spirit to make you understand it, right? But he tells them, make it plain, make it simple. Anyone should be able to read it. Small children, aged men, they should all be able to understand it. So he tells them, write it down. That's so that he makes it permanent for later generations. He says, make it plain and simple so anyone can understand it, children included. Then he says, make it public so that anyone running past these tablets or passing through can see it, hear it, and respond. This is the message that Habakkuk gets from the Lord after praying. For you note takers, 1 Corinthians 2, 1 and 2, this is what Paul says. And when I came to you, brothers and sisters, I did not come as someone superior in speaking ability or wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony of God, for I determined not to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified, right? Paul didn't come with eloquent speech like a Pharisee, right? He didn't come with all this pharisaical wisdom and knowledge, although he was a Pharisee, right? But he said, I came to you speaking very plain speech when I made known to you the power and wisdom of God. And later he would say, so that your faith did not rest in the wisdom of man, but in the power and demonstration of the Holy Spirit. Amen? And so saints, the message, we need to know it so that we can share it and make it easy for people to understand. Amen? But you need to know it, right? On the outline, we must know and understand God's word so we can make it plain to others. Saints, we all have to study to find ourselves approved unto God. All of us. It's not just pastors. Because as you understand it more and live it, you're more of a benefit to those who are lost. Right? I don't know about you, but I want my life to count. When everything's said and done, when I stand before God, I want to take advantage of every opportunity that God gave me. Now, obviously, I'll fail, right, in certain points. But my heart is that I, my life counted, right? I don't want to just sit on the sideline. I want to use every gift God gave me to advance his kingdom and for his glory. 
simply teaching and proclaiming the good news of Jesus. As Chuck Smith would say, keep the cookies on the bottom shelf. I know you guys have heard that before, the bottom shelf. Now, when he says that word run, it's actually kind of difficult to translate, but it carries two verbs, read and run. So what some scholars may think it means is that those who may read it run for their lives, right? Because that's judgment, okay? Or simply those who read it may run and tell others. Both are probably true, right? Run for judgment, you better run. Judgment's coming, right? Run or repent, okay? But either way, judgment will catch up with you. So you might as well just repent now, right? We're not supposed to keep the message to ourselves. So saints, in context, the message is actually a message of hope to faithful Judah, but it's a message of coming judgment to the Babylonian kingdom. So if you guys remember, Babylonian came in, Nebuchadnezzar came in, and he swept Judah up in three waves, and then they went to Babylon. This message is to tell Judah, Babylon's going to get judged, and you guys are going to get released back into the land. So it's a twofold message that he's getting. Now, although God is sending corrective discipline to his children, he's going to judge the wickedness of Babylon. How many of you guys are familiar with the verse Jeremiah 29, 11, right? We got it written on like posters and stickers. And we're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. God knows the plan for me. So like technically, <laughs> I hate to be a bearer of bad news. Like that's not for us, right? That's not the primary context of the verse. The primary context of the verse, and I'll read it to you guys. 29, 10, 11, you don't have to go there. Just if you're a note taker, I'm a note taker. So it says, for this is what the Lord says. When 70 years have been completed for Babylon, I will visit you and fulfill my good word to you to bring you back to this place. That's verse 10, right? Context. Now 11, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for prosperity, not for disaster. Babylon gets disaster. You get prosperity, right? To give you a future and a hope. This was the message Habakkuk was delivering, right? So when you think of that verse, it was actually a letter inside the prophet of Jeremiah, if you read it, to the Judean captives, okay? That's the context. But the secondary part of that message is, yeah, that could be for us too. God does have plans. He wants to use our life for good, right? He wants to... I uh, use our lives to glorify, his, build his kingdom, right? But the, the immediate context is for the Judean captives, right? Does that make sense? A little, little exegesis there for you guys, right? Amen. It's good stuff, right? Context is important. But that this message wasn't going to happen immediately. So I love the fact that God forewarns us and gives you time to repent, right? On your outline, because God's word is written down, we can know him, read it, remember it, share it, and obey it. And verse three says this, for the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it will speak and it will not lie. Though it tarries, wait for it because it will surely come. It will not tarry. God shows Habakkuk the future. This is called prophecy. Okay. He says the vision is not yet for an appointed time, meaning it has a set time for its fulfillment. Jeremiah 25, 12 says this, then it will be when 70 years are completed, I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation declares the Lord for their wrongdoing and the land of the Chaldeans and I will make it an everlasting desolation. Some would wonder, why in the world does he wait so long? Just punish them now. They've done enough evil, more than enough. Let's just cut it now, right? 
Saints, you got to keep that same energy with the people you love. If he judges them, he has to judge all wicked. The Bible says God shows no personal favoritism. So we have to remember that God waiting and not judging immediately is a sign of his mercy, right? And some of us like, no, they need to know if they do, then you better clean up your house, right? You better make sure everybody's straight in your crib and around your family. Have the same mercy that you would want for your family members. God desires that none shall perish, no, not one. It's okay to have righteous indignation, right? Flip some tables maybe, right? But at the same time, our hearts should be for God to save them, not condemn them. That day is coming. How many times in scripture does God give an adequate warning? Let's review. Noah and the ark, 100 years. It's a long time. It says there's partying and drinking, all that stuff. Long time, 100 years, Okay. The northern and southern tribes to get right, 600 to 700 years before he judged them. Since the cross, 2,000 years, okay? So many would say, oh, you're not, you're not judging anybody, you're not coming back, right? Wrong. The purpose of prophecy, saints, is to prepare us, not to scare us. It's God's will that none shall perish. Even though Christ's coming has been proclaimed for over 2,000 years, it's closer now than it's ever been before. Amen? It could be right after this message. So hope you're ready, right? <laughs> Saints, it's been said that the Bible is the only book that hangs its entire credibility on its ability to write history in advance without error. The Bible, the B-I-B-L-E, that's the book for me, okay? It's the real deal. And for those who are struggling, well, the Bible I mean, it was written by Peter. I mean, Peter denied Jesus. I don't know if I could trust that, right? For those of you who may be struggling with the reliability of the Bible, here's some facts for you. One, this is not circular reasoning either. 2 Timothy 3.16 tells all scripture is breathed out of the mouth of God. We'll prove it. Hold your horses. I got you. Okay. First of all, it is like a reliable collection of 66 historical documents written by over 40 eyewitnesses or companions of eyewitnesses. These eyewitnesses were from all walks of life, over the space of 1,500 years, three different languages, 13 different countries, three different continents, and these writers report of supernatural events in fulfillment of specific, not random, specific prophecy. And it's been proven historically, scientifically, archaeologically, and prophetically because it is God-breathed. There's no other document of antiquity that comes even close in the Bible, the B-I-B-L-E. So God's word is true and it can be trusted. It predicts the future and it comes true. That means the person knows what the future is and that's only God, amen? So we don't just, this is not just fairy tales. Like we can, we can relax and rely on this and, and it takes actually, to be honest, it takes a little leap of faith to believe this. It takes a big leap of faith that this stuff came from nothing. That I can't, I can't jump that far. That leap, I might, I might pull a muscle trying to leap that far, okay? Literally, mustard seed to believe this. It's going to take a big leap. We'll all have to link together to stretch to leap how big that gap is to believe the nonsense that the enemy would try to tell. He says, at the end, it will speak and it will not lie. Though it tarries, wait for it because it will surely come and not tarry. This means when it comes true, it'll speak for itself. And that's exactly what it did, Right? When it comes true, it'll speak for itself. So back in Deuteronomy, they would say, how do you judge a prophet? 
to see if they're true. Well, does what they say come true? And if it didn't, then back then they were stoned, right? I remember one time I was uh, talking to a, I think it was a Jehovah's Witness or a Mormon. And we're just having a casual conversation. And, and I told him, I said, hey, so if you're, if, you're, if you're placing all your trust on Joseph's revelation, I'm just saying, okay, Deuteronomy says, if you're wrong, he gets stoned. You ready to risk that? You ready to risk be stoned? And he paused. Like he thought about it, like, hey, you're right, Deuteronomy does say that. You're right. I'm, I'm just saying, because what you're hinging on is not according to scripture, right? So are you going to hold to Joseph's revelation or God's revelation, right? Which one's lying? Jesus or Joseph? Think carefully, right? Some of them were like, well, I just believe this is a more correct translation. And one guy actually said, actually, you're right. Like Isaiah does say that there's only one God, right? Isaiah does say that he is the true and living God. You're right. I actually got to go research that. But it was interesting that when I put, hey, you're willing to risk getting stoned over it, right? Kind of thought about it. <laughs> I, I, I don't think this revelation is worth getting stoned over, right? <laughs> but that's what God's word says, that if, you know, in the Old Testament, if they were wrong, then they were stoned, right? Because they were leading people astray after other gods. And that's not what we were created to worship. The Babylonians indeed, 70 years fell later, like God's word says. And that's why we know the word of God does not return back void. So I encourage you guys. Uh, I had a brother in Christ who was like, I, 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 like, I want to walk away. Like I'm frustrated with like my family members and people I talk to about the gospel. Nobody wants to hear it. I said, well, just keep, just either live it in front of them. If they don't want to hear what you have to say, that's fine. Dust your feet off and just live it in front of them because the word of God does not return back void. So either it's going to take effect now or when they stand before God, all that's going to be played in front of them. All the chances I gave you, right? But don't get mad at them because you yourself were once on that side, right? You got to have mercy. And I just remind them, Jesus says, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. You cannot force people into holiness, right? Paul says the only thing that constrains the Christian is the love of Christ. The love of Christ compels me. That's what's motivating me to share this message. For context, no takers. This verse that for a little while it will come, it will not tarry. The writer of Hebrews actually uses it and it's quoted, for a little while he who is coming will not tarry. They replaced the it with the he. I think Paul wrote it, but I could be wrong. Um, but he speaks of the coming of the Lord in the New Testament. This very verse speaks of the coming of the Lord, that he will not tarry, he will come, just as sure as the word of prophecy came. Speaking of Jesus, right? So Habakkuk, this, this book is quoted a lot in the New Testament. These little jewels that we have. You can imagine a discouraged Jewish exile in Babylon 50 plus years. They needed some encouragement. Is he really going to come? Is he really going to fulfill his word, Right? And the prophet's going to deliver him a message of hope. Wait for him, saints. Yes, wait for him. In the time where so many people are claiming to hear from the Lord, saints were called to test every spirit. I can't tell, me, tell you guys how many times someone tell me, well, I heard from the Lord that this and that. I just, if it's in here, I'm not bowing. Show it to me in here, right? I'll bow when you show it to me. And people don't like, they get mad. Like, well, why do you think? It's, no, if it's in here, if it aligns with this, I'll go with it. If it comes true, I'll go with it. But I can't just go off, off of what you say, especially when it doesn't line up with scripture. And it was about a month ago, I had, um, you know, it was a sister in Christ. She believed she heard from the Lord. And she was like, you know, if, if your kids are rebellious, 
you need to go back to when your wife was pregnant and think about how you were living your life. I'm like, uh. You got a verse for that? I thought 1 John 1 9 said, if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. I don't need to go back 20 years. I don't need to go back 16 years. I don't need to go back 10 years. I've been forgiven, washed, and cleansed. Amen? Sometimes kids are rebellious. Amen? I pray for them. I live holy before them the best I can, but I'm not going back. Paul said, forgetting the things that are behind, right? I'm marching forward. So I'm not bowing to that. I reject that. Okay? I reject that. You put that somewhere where it came from, but I'm not bowing to that. Sorry. Right? Let God be true and every man be a liar. But you guys have to be careful. The Bible says test all spirits, right? Whether they be from God. So many people claim they have a word from the Lord. It's not a word from the Lord if it's not a word from the book. Amen? Amen. If it's from the Lord, it's in here somewhere. You want to show them where you got it? Right? (laughs) If it's not in here, I'm sorry. I'm I'm not making stuff up. We're not adding or taking away. It's going to have to correlate to this in some way somehow. Right? So you got to test the word that comes forth. God tells Habakkuk that he will fulfill his word in his timing. Beloved saints, the truth remains the same. It doesn't change. That's why I tell you guys that. Jesus is indeed coming back. The question is, are you ready? That's between you and the Lord. You've got to answer me, but that's between you and the Lord. Are you living a life apart from your creator and the lover of your soul? Is your life marked by sin, wickedness, and idolatry? Or even this one, religion. Man's attempt to make themselves right before God. Well, I get up and I pray. I get up and I, I do my Hail Marys. I get up and I do all those things. Saints, religion can't save you. It'll wear you out, but it won't save you, right? All those things, get up, stand down, sit down, all, the, all those rituals will wear you down, okay? You will be a well-conditioned religion person, religious person, but you will not have a saving relationship with Jesus. But you have to ask yourself, what means are you using to declare yourself right before God? You cannot escape God's wrath, except at the cross of Calvary. Saints have been said that connection to God is our natural habitat. Trying to escape God is like a fish trying to escape water. It's deadly, right? Many of us are like fish out of the water, right? And we need to get back in and get connected. And I love the scripture that says, draw near unto me and I will draw near unto you. Whose court is the ball in? Draw near unto me, to you, to us. Draw near, I draw near. Take a step by take a step, right? So if I'm far away, that means I I haven't drawn near. I draw near, he comes near. That's what we're called to do. Saints, today is the day of salvation. You can have your judgment day today, or you can wait for Jesus to come back. I would not want the later, okay? Come back with a white horse if you you don't have your judgment day already. I, I, I don't want the white horse judgment. I want to come with him when he comes the white horse, I don't want to be on the other side of the white horse, right? And I, and, I, and I don't want you to be there. As a believer, which most of you in here are, do you find yourself regressing in your relationship with God? His invitation, like I said, is to draw near unto him. And he definitely will draw near unto you. Review of point number two. Be men and women of the word. I can't stress that enough. You have to know and understand God's word in order to share it with others. 
Your testimony is good, but your testimony is not the gospel, right? You can't replace the gospel with your testimony. It's a, it's a, it's a good, you know, accomplice, but it's not the foundation of the word, right? So you have to both know the word and be able to give your testimony. Both of those are true. And because God's word is written down, we can know him, read it, remember it, share it, and obey it. Point number three, final point. Walk out your faith moment by moment, not just for a moment. By your fruit, you shall know them. Now, most of us, we find out what our faith is really about when you go to the valleys, right? Yes, a moment of faith saves you, but a saving faith doesn't last for just a moment. True saving faith, which is the context of this verse four, is actually living and trusting God in times of uncertainty. That is the Christian life. I trust God when I know what's going on and when I don't know what's going on. I trust God when things are good and when things are bad. I trust God when I'm confused, mad, and angry, and when I'm happy, joyous, and peaceful. My trust in God is constant, right? Because he's earned my trust, and he hasn't given me any reason to doubt him. Verse 4 says this, Behold the proud, his soul is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. And the NASB version says this, behold, as the impudent one, his soul is not right within him, but the righteous one will live by his faith. God now answers Habakkuk's second question. Habakkuk asks, how can a nation more wicked than Judah judge Judah? So God contrasts characteristics of the Babylonians, the one who's proud, with those who were honoring God in Judah. One is puffed up. The other is to live by their trust in God's word and timing and judging Babylon. So God first tells Habakkuk, behold the proud, which means puffed up, to swell, lifted up. God says, I see their pride. And the Bible has a scroll of things to say about pride. I, I, we, I have a whole sermon on it. I can do two, three, four, five, six sermons on pride right? Who really can't? There's just not enough time. <laughs> but to give an example, Daniel 5, 20 and 23, this is what Nebuchadnezzar says to show you some of his pride. But when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened in pride, he was disposed from his kingly throne and they took his glory from him. Then he was driven from the sons of men. His heart was made like the beast and his dwelling was with the wild donkeys. They fed him with grass like oxen and his body was wet with the dew of heaven till he knew that the most high God rules and the kingdom of men and appoints over it whomever he chooses. Nebuchadnezzar took all the credit for Babylon. I built this great city. I did all this all by myself. I swept all these nations. And the Bible makes it very clear that God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. Saints, let us not forget who the originator of pride was. Satan himself. Think about it. Three angels in the Bible mentioned by name. Michael, Gabriel, and Lucifer. Okay? Lucifer, many believe, was a worship leader in heaven. So, and he was really good at it. So he literally had instruments of praise inside of him. But instead of praise going through him, he wanted praise to go to him. And it got him kicked out of heaven. And here's the reality. Nobody can handle praise and worship except the most high God. We were not created to be worshiped. 
And that's why whenever someone has pride in their life, it always ends in destruction in some way, shape, or form. Pride will destroy you. You were created to worship, specifically to worship God. And when you don't worship God and you worship something else or you worship yourself, which I call pridolatry, then it leads to destruction. Okay? New word, right? New word, pridolatry. It's idolatry of self. Okay? It leads to destruction. You see it. Look at all the examples. If we look through scripture, I mean, and we can't, I mean, I can't, but there's just so many examples. Saints, pride has the habit of looking within and not looking up. It always looks at eye all the time. The Babylonian empire was the greatest empire at that time and were sweeping nations under their feet quickly and successfully. Chapter one, God says that, well, when I do this, they're going to credit themselves for taking you guys over. They're going to look at their power and their own strength. Spurgeon says this of pride. If there is a sin that's universal, it is this. Where is it not to be found? Hunted among the highest and the loftiest in the world, and you shall find it there. And then you go and search among the poorest and the most miserable, and you shall find it there. There may be as much pride inside the beggar's rags as in the prince's robes. And a harlot may be as proud as a model of chastity. Pride is a strange creature. It never objects to its lodgings. It will live comfortably enough in a palace and it will live equally at its ease in a hut. Is there any man in whose heart pride does not lurk? Yikes. Truth. Pride is the soil from which all sin grows from. You look at every sin, pride's involved. Every single one of them. Question. Who likes being around prideful people? That'd be none of us, right? It's annoying. It's destructive. It's negative. We can't be around it. We have so many historical examples of prideful people who were brought low. One of my favorites, King Sennacherib. I don't know if you guys are familiar with him. He says, do not let your God in whom you trust deceive you, saying Jerusalem shall not be given to the hands of the king of Assyria. And Hezekiah goes into the temple, lays out the complaint. Next day, hundred, one angel, one, uno, slays 185,000 Assyrians. And that's why Assyria did not take over Judah. They took over northern tribes, but they didn't get to Judah, right? Prideful. The Bible says he takes the proud man and brings him low. So either you can humble yourself or God can humble you. I'll take the first one, right? If God has to do it, it's going to be painful, right? Goliath, who's the God that's going to deliver you at my hands? Milk boy, right? Think about that. Goliath, not slayed by Saul, who should have been the one to slay him. The milk boy who's bringing cheese to it, right? God will humble you. He'll use the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. That's what he does. Pride is an interesting thing. It is the only disease known to man that affects everyone else except the one who has it. People have to tell you you're prideful. You usually don't realize it yourself, right? It infects everybody around you while you're high and lofty, right? It is a dangerous thing. Saints, I've learned that the main place of humility is at the foot of the cross. There's more to be learned there than anywhere else in the world. Humility is always looking at what Christ has done for us. I've learned 
I mean, I don't, I don't know how many times I've taught or how many people I've taught to. I, I don't keep track, right? Um, but obviously the compliments and the praise and all that. So I've learned to stay humble. You, you have to take praise in stride, right? It's like perfume. It smells good, but toxic if you drink it. And so I'm constantly, oh, glory to God, right? By the grace of God, which is all true. But all it takes is a moment. Oh, actually, I am pretty solid, right? Oh, that was a great message, right? And you're puffed up. It's real easy. If you don't keep in mind that you're just simply a messenger, you don't write the mail, you just deliver it. It'd be different if you wrote it, but you didn't write it. He wrote it. And then he used his spirit to deliver it through you. You're just the pipe. He's the water, right? Which was more important. No one drinks pipe. They drink the water, okay? So we have to remember, I'm a clay pot, okay? He is the potter. We are the clay. It always what? Looks up. Pride looks in. Saints, you have to be careful for pride. Amen? Then he contrasts. So he says the, the, the prideful person, the proud, which is Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, he says they is not upright. He is not upright. His soul is not upright. And then he contrasts. He said, but the just shall live by faith. Now, this scripture is quoted over three times in the New Testament. Speaking of saving faith, the doctrine justification by faith, if you guys are familiar. The writer of Hebrews quotes it in 1038. Paul quotes it in Romans 1.17 and Galatians 3.11 all have a different emphasis, and I don't have time to go into all of it. You guys can read it. But justification is considered the glorious act that the Lord, where he gives us his son's righteousness, and then he takes our wickedness and sin and puts it on his son. That is justification. And the best way to explain it, it's, it's uh, 2 Corinthians 5.21. It says that he made him who knew no sin to become sin for us so we can become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. They call it the great exchange. And so what happens is Jesus gives us his righteousness. He takes upon our sin. Now God looks at us as he looked at him. And he looks at him as he looked at us. I know it's a lot of looking, but the reality is, is that is how we're right before God is by simple faith and trust in God. And Habakkuk's message is the justified person won't just live by faith for a moment, but moment by moment, even when they don't understand. So both of the contexts are true. A moment of faith saves, but a saving faith is never for a moment. It's lived out through our lives. You guys know who Martin Luther is? It was this verse that freed him from his legalism. Quote, Martin Luther, but when by the spirit of God, it understood those words, the just shall live by faith. The just shall live by faith. Then I felt born again, like a new man. I entered through the open doors of the very paradise of God. This verse, the just shall live by faith. Well, what do you mean by just or righteous? Understand Old Testament, the righteous person was the one considered who lived by the Mosaic law by faith, right? That's what was considered them. The faithful remnant of Judah is in context what he's talking about. They will live by faithfulness, which is an attitude of unshakable trust in the Lord and his word. That was them, okay? And this context, that's the immediate context. But in the New Testament, those who are righteous will preserve faithfully trusting in God, even in dark, evil, and uncertain times, even when they don't understand. That is what true faith looks like for us, or should. 
Here's some true faith statements, saints. Though you slay me, yet will I trust you. Me and the boy are going to worship and we'll be right back. That's Abraham after he was told to kill his son. Our God will deliver us from the fiery furnace. And even if he doesn't, we will not bow. That's a faith statement. Can I bring him back from the dead? He won't come to us, but I shall go to him. That's King David. Saints, these are all statements of people who are living by faith moment by moment. And they're an example to you and I on how we can live by faith. An untested faith is an unreliable faith. I don't know about you, but I want people around me that have been tested. I want people around me that when I'm going through something, they've been through something, they can encourage me as I'm going through something. That God's word does not change. That his word is true today, yesterday, and forever. Saints, we're called to live by faith and nothing else. Some Christians live by devotions. Some Christians live by works. Some Christians live by feelings. Some by circumstances. Each of these is meaningless and perhaps dangerous without faith. The Bible says that without faith, it's impossible to please God because those who believe he is must believe that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Amen? So faith, what is it? It can either mean faith or faithfulness in this text. So the question then becomes, do the righteous live by God's faithfulness to them or by their faithfulness to God? I would tell you that God's faithfulness will result in a person living faithfully because even when we're faithless, he's faithful because he can't deny who he is. Saints, I really encourage you guys as we close that tonight is the night to live by personal faith in Jesus if you are not already doing it. Jesus is knocking on each and every one of your hearts if you have not accepted him as Lord and Savior. If you're hearing these things and you're not sure you're kind of on the fence, Jesus would call you to have your judgment day tonight. He would call you to accept his open invitation to call upon the name of the Lord and be saved from the wrath to come. God loves us with an everlasting love. That's why he sent Jesus to die for us. He says, this is the demonstration of God's love that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. So if there's anyone in here who has not made the profession of faith, today's the day. Don't leave here without him. Anyone watching watches this later. It's really simple. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Now, some will say, well, there's no sinner's prayer in the Bible. I think the sinner's prayer in the Bible is, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. That's what I see, right? You call upon the name of the Lord and you recognize you're a sinner. You believe he died. The Bible's very simple. We're not going to make it complex. Anyone in here at all? Worship team, come on up. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we humbly come before you, Lord, and we just thank you for your word. We thank you that it's true. We thank you that you wrote it down for us so that we can read it, we can remember it, we can obey it, we can share it, and we can know you, the one true God whom you have sent, your son, who we can't wait till we see him face to face. And Lord, we ask that those who have ears that would hear tonight, Lord, and that we leave here closer to you, edified and encouraged by your holy word. And that if we are living in any unrepentant sin, Lord, we will lay ourselves upon the mercy of the cross that we would confess before you, Lord. As your word says, if we confess our sin, you are faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 
Lord, we worship you. We thank you for your grace. It's in Jesus' holy name we pray. And the saints said, amen.